hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jacquez. We've got a big 11 a.m. kickoff, as my wife likes to call it, this Saturday for OU up in Lawrence against Kansas. And we'll dive in a little bit on that matchup here in a moment. We'll talk about UCF as well and kind of the, the fallout from that performance. Uh, but before we dive into all that, Tyler, it's good to see you. I'm glad you didn't call in sick on me and uh, just uh, take the day off. Yeah, I was. Uh, so the the actual store uh, general manager that I'm at running this company, I thought about trying to bring somebody in an off-field role, trying to get them promoted, get them to where uh, they can actually take over for me. I can take a couple of days off. Do we just kind of want to start this podcast off, <clears throat> Adam, with a moment of silence for our friends and family out there in L.A.? It just... It's the gift that keeps on giving, and that is Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch. That combo, they've lost back-to-back games. Notre Dame, Utah goes into the Coliseum, third-string quarterback, and beats the Trojans on a last-second field goal. And then, oh, you look up uh, at what this team has got the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the year – they got a, They got Washington at home. They've got to go to Oregon. They still have the matchup against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Does Lincoln Riley even make it to this to the end of the season, or does does he just come out being diagnosed with mono or something that's going to keep him you know keep him in bed for the next couple <laughs> of months? So, but it, it could not happen to a better program and a better coach. I am so wired after every USC game. It ends at, you know, 10 o'clock central at night. And I'm like, I I can't go to bed after that. Like I have to like almost like an addict or something, get to the message boards and like (laughs) eat up as much of that as I can, both on the OU message boards, on the USC message boards, all the national media on Twitter. It's, it's just amazing how how the season has played out for both OU and USC paralleling at the same time in totally different directions. Uh, but uh, it, it's a joy. And I, I think OU fans definitely get carried away with it and saying, <laughs> oh, yeah, he's definitely gone or he's definitely out interviewing for other jobs. I don't know if any of that's true or not. I don't really care. It's just it's fun to watch at this point. I, honestly, I kind of think it might be more fun for OU fans if he stays at USC and they have to wallow in that for, for years to come. Oh, like I said, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And Adam, I don't know if hatred is the right word. I don't know if it's just craziness, but I was sitting on Saturday night in, at an outdoor venue um, celebrating Bree's uh, aunt's 60th birthday party. And it's me and three other guys sitting around this table. We've got the, o, or we've got the USC-Utah game, literally the final minutes being streamed on my phone. Uh, Utah kicks the game-winning field goal. They walk it off. We go nuts, and Bree looks over at me, and she says, what are you doing? The Oklahoma game was over earlier. And I said, yeah, but we cheer, we cheer for two teams uh, every single weekend. We cheer, cheer for the boys in Crimson and Cream, and we cheer for whatever opponents facing USC that weekend. I'm sorry. That's just the times that we live in right now with the uh, with this OU fandom. But, yeah, couldn't happen to a better program. Uh, the craziness that's going on right now with Michigan, we can obviously, you know, we can save that for another podcast. We can touch on it if you want to. I don't care, really. Um, it is what it is. It's Jim Harbaugh. We kind of You kind of know what you're getting. This isn't surprising to me whatsoever with that coach and that program, but, um, let's just let's let's dive into it, Adam. Oklahoma, 
keeping the undefeated streak alive. I picked him to cover last week. Definitely didn't go according to plan the way I thought it was going to. But you still, despite the adversity, despite you know uh, Plumley, uh, Gus Malzahn, that UCF offense, you know coming out throwing everything but the kitchen sink at Oklahoma. Uh, the Sooners, you know, led by, you know, uh, Kendall Dolby, uh, Billy Bowman, and what was a critical, you know, two-point play possession. Um, I, I thought that this was a, a, a nice bring-you-back-down-to-earth moment for Oklahoma on Saturday. You got the win, but it also came with a bunch of correction material that Brent Venables and this coaching staff is going to be able to put in front of these guys as you head into Lawrence on Saturday. I guess you could look at that it, that way, but another way to look at it is that really this game should not have been that close. OU dominated pretty much throughout the game for the most part uh, on both sides of the ball. Statistically, almost every category OU was dominant there. And really outside of two plays, this defense really shut down a pretty good UCF offense. Mm-hmm. I think John Rice Plumley was probably limited. He didn't look like the most athletic quarterback out there. I think maybe he's a little protective of his, of his injuries sure. there. And so, Oh, you did a good job containing him, not letting him really have too many opportunities. And then you look at RJ Harvey. He's a guy that if you had asked a lot of OU fans after the game, you'd probably said, yep, he outrushed, you know, all the OU running backs, uh, average yards per carry. And no, not the case. Uh, Both Marcus Major and Gavin Sawchuk both averaged more yards per carry than RJ Harvey. He did have that big run on uh, third and four or so uh, Mm -hmm. that really added his stat line. Other than that, he averaged about 2.1 yards per carry. So you did a good job wrangling him in. Uh, first down defense was really impressive there. I think OU also gave up 2.1 yards per play on first down. So it was really mm-hmm. just kind of that, okay, after that initial surge, you know, not allowing them to put together a longer drive. And they did that a couple times, mostly ended up in field goals. So the red zone defense continued there uh, for, for OU. And that's starting to become much more of a trend. You almost saw another goal line stop. So a lot of good trends there. It's just, mm-hmm. okay, you have to make that extra play. You have to clean up the little things. And I think they fell apart a little bit in regards to some things that we'd gotten used to with the yeah. OU defense and offense of playing complimentary football, especially in that middle eight. That really fell apart with OU giving up that long 86-yard touchdown, mm-hmm. combo that with an interception on the first drive of the uh, second half there. So a little bit shakier, but if you clean that up, this becomes a much more dominant win for you. Well, and Adam, I thought it was interesting coming out of this game. The chatter was talking about how the defense gave up 29 points, and that was kind of, you know, the, the defense was what made this game so close for Oklahoma. I thought the, the defense played exceptionally well, and Brent talked about it in his press conference today. UCF ran 75 plays on Saturday. 70 of those plays averaged 2.5 yards per play. That's absolutely outstanding. That's one of the tops in the country. And the other five big plays – Uh, that they gave up is what cost them on Saturday. And, you know, we we talk about the um, losing containment on the edge that allows, you know, some of those speed draw plays, uh, R.J. Harvey to kind of bust that containment, get outside and make a couple of those big explosive runs. We all know, you know, Woody Washington that, you know, busting that coverage, that long touchdown pass. uh, I guess we're totally overlooking the fact that there was an offensive lineman four to five yards down the field, but it is what it is. But I I think that the big thing for me when you look at this game, this, this could have been over, midway through the first quarter. The defense got four consecutive three-and-out stops. They gave Jeff Levy's offense and Dylan Gabriel tremendous field possession. I think that they actually started on their side of the 50, two of those four possessions, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, I, I know that Zach Schmidt missed a couple of field goals, but you really had an opportunity to, you know, go up 21 nothing, 24 nothing, really kind of put this game out of reach and force UCF, to, you know, who's offense right now, with, a, you know, a, plum, a quarterback in Plumlee that's, you know, very limited with his legs, not the most explosive, you know, passer from the 
pocket. But if you were able to, you know, put yourself up to a 21, 24 nothing lead, then you force Gus Malzahn to really kind of change his game plan by having to play from such a large margin coming from behind. And I thought that that was a huge missed opportunity for Oklahoma. That game should not have been as close as it was. It just didn't seem like Oklahoma was able to find their footing all day offensively until, you know, midway through the fourth quarter. Uh, and outside of Nick Anderson on a couple of plays and, you know, Drake Stoops, Mr. Consistency, I, I mean, really there's not too many bright spots that I think that you can talk about with this Oklahoma offense. Um, you can throw Gavin Stolchuk in there because I think he did get better as the game wore on. Uh, but, Adam, just kind of what are your overall impressions on this OU offense uh, against UCF? Yeah, I guess we should park a little bit on that running game because early on you throw out Gavin Stolchuk. He doesn't have the great opening drive there, uh, really stalls out. And then yeah. – what the next two or three drives, I think you saw five different wide receivers in the backfield there at running back. No real, you know, it's all gimmicky running plays there with the running uh, wide receiver there lining up. And so it's just like, man, we just, I don't know what we're doing. It felt, mm -hmm. felt a lot like OU Texas last year where you didn't have a quarterback and it's like, they just didn't have a plan really. They didn't have any type of idea of what they wanted to do and you could see that Marcus Major was clearly limited I don't know why Dalen Smothers or Caleb Hicks don't get opportunities I know maybe they're further behind on pass blocking but like you're desperate at this point you need a running back who can carry the ball and it creates something on the ground because that opens up so much more for this offense we weren't able to see too many deep shots for Dylan Gabriel there on Saturday even just watching guys you know looking to see did he miss someone that was wide open I didn't really notice that you know on a deep ball there so you have to be able to create something in the run game to, to keep the defense honest and yeah. so finally we started to see that there in the fourth quarter and it's almost like it's like we saw what five carries of Gavin Sawchucks that were kind of amazing that totaled I don't know something like 60 yards probably yeah and we all feel like man that's the best we've seen all year and it, it really was it was the first time that no you running back has averaged more than I think six yards a carry the entire season uh, minimum of you know four or five attempts at, mm -hmm. at least and so it's like okay I don't know what like should we should we believe this now because we yeah. do know UCF is a bad rush defense but I don't know. I want to buy it. I want to believe it because we've always thought that Gavin Sawchuk has a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's just been a little off health-wise, but now he got a little bit of run. Maybe he'll get more opportunity against Kansas. Yeah, I thought it was a big disappointment on Saturday. UCF obviously outside the top 100 in rushing defense. And, you know, Adam, just starting on the, on the running back rotation right now, I think that it was interesting hearing from Brent Venables in the last 24 hours. He was talking about how the personnel decisions, that's entirely up to the position coach. So that's – coming from DeMarco Murray up to Jeff Levy through Brent Venables as far as who's trotting out there and taking some of the snaps on Saturday. Obviously, I think it was a huge blow not having Todd Wee Walker available, you know, serving that in-house suspension. Uh, from everything that we've heard, he is going to be back when the Sooners take the field in Lawrence this weekend against KU. So that's going to be a nice bump for this offense. But w one of the things that really has kind of bothered me We've talked about the fact that Gavin Sawchuk, yes, he was nursing that hamstring injury all through fall camp, You know, kind of fell out of shape a little bit, was really using the first few weeks of the regular season to work himself back into game shape. And then when you're down Tawie Walker, Javante Barnes is a non-factor right now. You're using a running back rotation of Gavin Sawchuk and kind of a banged-up uh, Marcus Major. And I think that one of the things that's I really don't understand at this point, Adam, and if you if you can provide some insight on this, I would love to hear it, but it seems to me like the running back position is one of those, just like playing corner, just like playing quarterback, where you almost need quality reps again and again and again to work yourself into a groove, especially, you know, when you're playing with a, an offensive line that's, you know, rotating guards, it seems like every other possession. 
I, I didn't like the fact that we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks, Gavin Sawchuk, you know, getting three to four carries. Well, then he'll miss the next couple of series. And then when he comes back in, they only feed him the ball two or three more times before he gets another extended break. And again, I know that Gavin, you know, coming right out of the gates, had a couple of bad moments in that opening possession, but it's make no mistake about it. Marcus Majors banged up. Gavin Sawchuk, from a pure athleticism standpoint, outside of the two freshmen, he's your best back. Like, make no mistake about that. I hope moving forward that, and especially, you know, going up to, to Kansas this weekend, a defense that gives up over 160 yards a game, I would like to see this offense force feed Gavin Sawchuk to start this game. Give him an opportunity to get going that way. Once you kind of, once you kind of settle into this game, you know, late into the first quarter and as the game kind of rolls on, he's comfortable, he's ready to go, and he can build some momentum and put up some good rushing statistics. And then, by the way, you can throw in a Tawi Walker, you know, kind of a bowling ball, uh, you know, type running back com- compared to Gavin Sawchuk. I think that that's a really nice change of pace back uh, that, De- uh, that DeMarco Murray and Jeff Levy can utilize on Saturday. But give your running backs an opportunity to get into the flow of this game and allow them to carry the ball seven, eight, you know, times consistently before you make some of those changes. And obviously, you know, uh, game situations, you know, third and 10, you know, second and long, that can obviously change some of the things that you do offensively. But I just think that they need to, they need to give some more carries early in this game to Gavin Sawchuk on Saturday. Yeah, get them comfortable because, as you mentioned, you do get stronger, I think, as the game wears on, especially at a a position where you need to bring a lot of physicality in how you run. And we know this offensive line, they're they're not good, they're not bad, they're just kind of somewhere in the middle there. And so you are going to have to run through a lot of trash. I think Brent Venables actually mentioned that in his post-game press conference Mm of, hey, like it's not all in one position in the running game. And I, I think that's pretty clear. There's a lot of, you know, shuffling parts on the offensive line with injuries right now. Some guys that are still trying to get their feet wet. Some guys that are really impressing, like Caden Green, early on as a true freshman. But Gavin Salchuk, I think, got stronger as he got more carries in the fourth quarter. He got some more confidence. He was starting to run through tackles. Um, and he brings that different element that Tawi Walker doesn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, Tawi can run through some of the trash, but he's not going to get very far after that. Whereas Gavin Salchuk can take off and fly yeah. uh, once he's through some of those those arm tackles. So, Definitely agree with you. We need to see a lot more of that well, uh, early and often on Saturday. Well, Adam, the last time that we saw Kansas on the field was in Stillwater two weeks ago against Oklahoma State. And, you know, there's probably not a uh, a hotter running back right now in the country than Ollie Gordon up in Stillwater right now. He's coming off of a game in West Virginia where he went for over 250 yards and four touchdowns. But, you know, against the Jayhawks, he racked up, I think it was about 168 yards, had a touchdown to go along with it. You watch this kid run. Gavin Stalchuk is a much better athlete from a speed, agility, acceleration standpoint than what we see from, you know, Ollie Gordon. And maybe it has more to do with the offensive line than it does with the running back rotation. Maybe we need to, you know, kind of spread the blame a little bit because like you said, Adam, it is kind of hard to get into a, a groove, you know, running the football when you're going, you know, when you've got seven or eight offensive linemen, you know, kind of switching out, you know, from series to series. So I would, I hope that this is a week where Bill Beanbow um, can, can use these next four days of practice to really kind of, really kind of, you know, cement that starting five. And maybe, maybe you have one guy that rotates in and out depending on some of the things uh, and how well they play on Saturday. But I would like to see a starting offensive line on Saturday, Adam, when OU takes on Kansas. Walter Rouse at left tackle, uh, Caden Green, the true freshman at left guard, Andrew Raymond center, of course. And then I think that the guy that has the absolute highest ceiling 
and can, you know, really elevate this offensive line when he's playing extremely well, you've got to go Savion Bird for me at right guard and then round things out with Tyler Guyton at right tackle. Uh, feed the ball to your bell cows in Gavin Sawchuck and Tawi Walker. Oklahoma should have some success running the football on Saturday against the Jayhawks. 11 a.m. on Saturday versus Kansas. This OU team is going to take on five and two are the Jayhawks. And mm-hmm. we don't know who's going to be the quarterback. Might be Jason Bean, might be Jalen Daniels. We'll talk about them in a second, I guess, here. I kind of think it doesn't really matter who plays OU. I think this is certainly a dangerous game. Both guys can beat you. Uh, it's not really a knock on Jalen Daniels, more of just the fact that I think Jason Bean is a guy that um, can take advantage of, of this OU defense or really mm-hmm. any defense he plays against. Um, we've got the highlights running here for those who are watching on YouTube from last week's game, but let's dive a little bit more into Kansas and what the Jayhawks are going to bring to the field. Looks like it might not be the best weather uh, in Lawrence. We'll see yet. Could be some rain in the forecast uh, for, for this uh, time of day, uh, but let's talk about the Jayhawks offense here. What should OU be looking for? Yeah, for this matchup on Saturday, 11 a.m. in in Lawrence, Kansas, um, kind of feels like this is a common theme anytime Oklahoma goes up uh, to the state of Kansas. Cold, windy, and rainy is the current forecast for OU's kickoff on Saturday. And, you know, Adam, this is going to be just another week where Oklahoma goes up against a very efficient, very explosive uh, offense in in Lance Leipold's team up there at KU. Regardless of who's playing quarterback on Saturday, I know that there's been a lot of talk this week. You know, Lance Leipold even talked about the fact that, you know, Jalen Daniels, he is progressing. You know, he might be a game-time decision, have an opportunity to play. Me personally, and we talked about this in the group chat yesterday, I honestly think that Jason Bean probably scares me a little bit more. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a guy that's very comfortable in this offense. Uh, you know, he's played, you know, he's been the starting quarterback for the last five weeks. Jalen Daniels hasn't played football in over a month. And you're asking him to come back. Yes, it is a home game. It's going to be one of the biggest games uh, in recent memory for the University of Kansas. But you're asking him to come back this week against the best defense in the Big 12, arguably a top five defense nationally. So that's a tall, tall order to ask out of that kid. But this is an offense, Adam, on, on Saturday when OU takes the field. KU's coming off of a bye week, so you've had the extra week of preparation to be able to throw some things together. I guarantee you Lance Leipold and that Kansas coaching staff saw some of the things that Gus Malzahn was able to take advantage of uh, on Saturday against OU, like the speed draw play. They were able to break some things outside. And, you know, this game, Adam, for whatever reason, it always brings memorable moments for me. You know, Caleb's heroic efforts when he took the ball away from Kennedy Brooks to get the first down. Uh, Samaje, you know, broke the NCAA scoring rush uh, record in the rain uh, at home against KU. And then, obviously, everybody knows the crotch grab and the handshake that never was by Baker Mayfield and the and the KU captains on Saturday. But for me, Jason Bean is the guy. True dual-threat quarterback, great speed. He leads the nation in explosive plays, both running and passing. And I think it's going to be a really, really good test for Oklahoma. It's strength on strength for me in this matchup. And if Oklahoma is going to have the ability to win this football game on Saturday, you've got to neutralize Kansas's offensive rushing attack. Uh, Jason Bean's a dual threat. Like I said, um, he's explosive. He can take it to the house any given time. KU, Adam, actually has two running backs right now in Devin Neal and uh, Daniel Hyshaw. Both of them are averaging over six yards a carry. And in that game against Oklahoma State two weeks ago, the last time we saw the Jayhawks on the field, even though they did lose that nail-biter game to the Pokes, offensively they averaged over 10 yards per play. So, again, a tall task for Brent Venables and Ted Roof's defense on Saturday. But this is one that I know that this, uh, this coaching staff and this defense is looking forward to. Yeah, you 
the makeup and construction of this Kansas team is very similar to UCF in that two-headed backfield monster uh, that they have there. I think there's probably more speed from what Kansas can bring to the table with Highshaw yeah. and, and Devin Neal. So really it's going to be, hey, go out and do basically the same thing you did against UCF, mm-hmm. but let's limit the big plays that happen there. And you got to count on your offense to have your back a little bit so that your defense isn't playing in such stressful uh, situations late into the third quarter and the second half there. But you mentioned Jason Bean. We're expecting him to start. Lance Leipold kind of said, well, Jalen Daniels is improving, but he's doubtful. Who knows? There's probably lots of shenanigans and um, it's, gamesmanship, I guess you would yeah, say here, yeah. uh, in regards to, you know, is he or isn't he going to play? I don't think it matters, though, because Jason Bean can, can hurt you. I know people look at him and say, yeah, he's the backup, but let's not forget what he's done to this OU defense the previous <laughs> two years. And if you look at their stats, really, you know, I think Jalen Daniels probably would have helped Kansas against <laughs> Texas, but otherwise he's been pretty good. Jason Bean has. I mean, his stats are fairly identical. Exact same mm-hmm. passer rating as Jalen Daniels this year. Um, better rushing um, you know, statistics than Jalen Daniels. Uh, and he's taking care of the football. Yards per attempt, yards per completion. He is taking, yeah, very almost identical mm-hmm. touchdown-interception ratio. The only real difference between them, you know, statistically is uh, completion percentage. Uh, he's about probably 9% uh, points lower than Jalen Daniels. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Daniels has been playing, you know, a little bit hurt throughout the uh, the season, the three games that he has played. So, the ceiling is still higher with Daniels, but I think Bean can certainly be a, a real troublemaker for this OU defense. So, but overall, I think like just you know go out and do the same thing mm-hmm. you did against UCF, um, but clean up a few mistakes. And uh, if your offense has your back, mm-hmm. like you mentioned earlier in the podcast with John Rice Blumley, that would have put uh, you know if the offense has your back, you're put in a much better position as a defense. Yeah. And so. Um, I think we could see a, a little bit better, a little bit cleaner result here. Well, and I think that the game plan for Oklahoma on Saturday defensively is going to be one: you got to set the edge, you've got to contain, you've got to contain uh, Jason Bean, keep him in the pocket because a lot of the damage that he does are on some of those forced rollouts where, where they're able to get him outside of the pocket. He does have the option to you know tuck it and run, but also be able to find some of those wide receivers down the field. And I think that that's something Brent Venables is really going to is really going to key on. Uh, th- this week in practice in, in neutralizing, you know, that Kansas uh, offense. And Adam, just kind of one more point here to really kind of let the viewers listening to this talk about, you know, the key to this game being Oklahoma neutralizing Kansas's rushing attack. In Kansas's games so far this season, keep in mind, this is a 5-2 and two football team. They've got two losses to Oklahoma State and to Texas. You look at um, Devin Neal's rushing performances over these games. On games that they've won, he's gone for 120, 154, 91, 90, and 94. The two games that Kansas has lost, their leading rusher went for, it was, I believe here, 45 against Texas and 66 two weeks ago against Oklahoma State. So that's the key to victory. That's the key to success for Oklahoma's defense on Saturday uh, is stop the run, and that's something that's been Oklahoma's bread and butter. They're one of the best rushing defenses in the country, and this is going to be another big-time task for that front seven uh, that Brent Venables is going to trot out there on Saturday. And I think that this is, uh, again, I talked about it, you know, in the opening segment, Adam, when looking at this 31-29 win uh, over UCF, yes, Oklahoma for 70 of 75 plays played tremendous outstanding football collectively, but it's those five plays that they had those busts in coverage. They lost containment. They weren't able to set the edge uh, and give, you know, credit to where credit's due. Uh, you know, UCF's a top 10 offense in college football right now, but that's what gives me all the more confidence in the world. Uh, about this football team going up to Lawrence on Saturday because not only do they have the athletes to be able to slow down Kansas, but I think that they're going to they're gonna take it personal 
some of the plays that they gave up and the performance that they put on tape a week ago. And I think that they go into Lawrence on Saturday with the mindset that they can go out there and make a statement uh, and really limit this KU offensive attack. If there's less than ideal weather situations in Lawrence, then that certainly favors Kansas because uh, they are rushing a rush first team. Mm -hmm. Flip over to the other side of the ball, Oklahoma. We're watching a few highlights, not a whole lot of uh, rushes in the highlight reel for Oklahoma this past Saturday. Or made kicks. uh, But we are coming up on (laughs) or made kicks. And so that's going to certainly be a challenge for the Oklahoma offense. Um, But, um, you know, defensively, Kansas is a team that still has some deficiencies. Uh, they have scored a few touchdowns defensively. That's helped them against uh, in games against BYU, for example. Yep. But certainly still some deficiencies there. This is a bottom 10 defense in the entire country in red zone efficiency, uh, giving up scores every single time so far that a team has entered the red zone. Now, Zach Schmidt's field goals were from a little bit further away, so I don't know if that may come into play, but I kind of feel like they might get a stop this Saturday because OU is going to be probably a little bit more aggressive on fourth down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be a rainy situation where OU is going to have trouble once they get into the red zone and have to run the ball, for example. So OU's got a, a big challenge here in front of them defensively, despite, I think, the statistics and the record of Kansas's defense not necessarily being the most stellar. Yeah, well, Adam, I mean, we can dive into the numbers a little bit about this Kansas defense and, you know, how how good or how not good they've been, you know, through the first eight weeks of this football season. But for me, the bottom line, this is this has this Saturday has more to do about what Oklahoma does offensively and less about what KU can do defensively to limit Dylan Gabriel, that Oklahoma rushing attack, those receivers out on the perimeter making big plays. Uh, Kansas is actually ranked 11th in the Big 12 Conference in in in, uh, in defense, giving up over 27 points per, per game. You look at some of the elite offenses that they've faced so far through the first eight weeks of the season. They gave up 39 to Oklahoma State. They gave up 51 – or they gave up uh, 40 uh, to, to the University of Texas down in Austin. I think that this is an opportunity for Oklahoma on Saturday where you're going to see Dylan Gabriel, you know, really – I think he's going to be able to pick the secondary part if he wants to, but ultimately weather conditions might, you know, kind of impact that as well. Uh, but I think that this this is a weekend where you've got Gavin Sawchuk finding some rhythm. You've got Tawie Walker fresh coming off of a, you know, not just a bye week, but, you know, another week where he didn't play. So I think that Oklahoma is going to make a concerted effort this week to, to you know, use the running game, to, you know, grind this game out, use the ground and pound, and then, you know, have some opportunities in the long passing game. Whether it is a Brennan Thompson, who from everything that we've heard, he's going to be healthy finally uh, for this upcoming game this weekend. Nick Anderson, can't say enough things about him. All the kid does is make touchdown catches. Uh, but I think that this is a weekend, this is going to be a weekend where the only team that's going to be able to stop Oklahoma's offense is Oklahoma. And I think it's more to do about us going out and have the ability to execute on Saturday, uh, run the football, and make some plays in the passing game downfield. And kind of underrated, maybe McCade Mattoyer is a guy that comes back in this game and helps solidify that offensive line and what they're able I to do. I still can't believe in the run that. game. <laughs> Yeah, I know, because it seemed like he broke his leg against Texas, but he was fully suited up mm-hmm. on Saturday uh, against UCF. I think he got in for one of those field goal plays. Yeah. I didn't see it personally, yeah. but he was walking around, uh, you know, sidelines throughout the mm-hmm. game. And, you know, hand up here, I was a hater on, of him throughout the entire offseason. I wanted someone to go in and take his job, yeah. but he's been excellent so far this year. So, um Proving me wrong, which I love to see that. I love to be wrong on that would, one. Would obviously love so, to see him on the field Saturday, but I think if possible, you hold him out for one more game this week, and then he makes his return for Bedlam uh, in Stillwater uh, next weekend. Yeah, 
Tyler, let's do a score prediction for OU Kansas. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? Oh man, I. For me, in my opinion, I know that Oklahoma State's coming on. Uh, they're playing a much better brand of football compared to when they trotted out on the field and lost to South Alabama at home by you know twenty five plus. I think that this is Oklahoma's toughest remaining road test. Now, obviously, all the talk's going to be around, you know, which quarterback's going to trot out there first for the Jayhawks. For me, it really doesn't matter. I think that they're going to be able to challenge Oklahoma uh, defensively for both of these. This, uh, you know, big new kickoff is going to be there. Um, the, the crew, you know, Mark Ingram, Urban Meyer, they're all going to be there. But I think that this is going to be an opportunity where Oklahoma can bounce back in a way and they can go out there and, you know, really kind of assert themselves both, uh, you know, dominating on both lines of the scrimmage. So with that being said, I fully expect Kansas to still put up some points like uh, like UCF did a week ago. So for that reason, I'm going to predict OU wins this game 42-31. I think Oklahoma, so covering, but just barely. Covering, but just barely. I still think it's a 10-plus uh, point victory, but I fully believe Kansas playing at home coming off of a bye – I think that they're going to have some things schemed up to, you know, give Oklahoma a little bit of a little bit of fit uh, fits on Saturday. I think that they're going to come out there and uh, play this pretty competitive. I think this is going to be a four quarter game on Saturday. Oh, he's going to be in a dogfight. But I trust Dylan Gabriel in a close game in the fourth quarter to be able to find a way to get this thing done. The weather really does make me nervous because, you know, we are a passing team right now. Yep. I'm not sold on the running game being fixed. I'm not. I think Gavin Sawchuk still is the best running back. And if we give him the opportunity, I think he can prove that. But I don't trust Jeff Levy, mm-hmm. DeMarco Murray, and the game plan to allow that to happen. I think they're going to trust Marcus Major and Tawi Walker more than they should. And so I just don't quite see that happening yet. I need to see more to fully believe and buy into Gavin Sawchuk being the answer to this running game and not being spectacular, not being an All-American or anything, but just be consistent and be a threat there that's going to help open up a lot for Dylan Gabriel. So that combined with the weather really does make me nervous. Now, picking the upset? I do think that – I'm not picking the upset. I'm not even picking Kansas to cover here. But Ooh. I do think that the red zone defense, uh, this nature of this defense, again, statistically, this OU defense is not going to be the best in total yards, you know, allowed or anything like that. Um, but they are going to be great inside the 20 yard lines there. They're going to be great in terms of points allowed per game. They're, they're, I think still top 15 in the nation. Mm -hmm. So I think OU is able to limit Kansas once they get down the field there, but I I think OU is just going to have trouble getting some scores here with the weather, with the kicking game, the way it is. I think they're going to be more aggressive for it on fourth down. So I've still got OU covering though. 35, 23 is my final score. And maybe this is a little bit too knee jerk reaction from what we saw versus UCF, but Hopefully, again, I'm wrong on this one as well. Here's what I'll, here's what I'll say, Adam. If Oklahoma goes up to Lawrence, and you know, unless they just get into a shootout where you know it's 45-40, you know, 52-45, but if I think if they go up there and they play good, clean football, if you can win by double digits, to me, that's a good win on Saturday. Going up to a team that is much, much approved. It's really impressive what Lance Leipold yeah. has done with that program in such a short amount of time. I mean, here we are sitting on on October 24th, and Kansas is. Uh, sitting here right now at five and two, they're one win away from a bowl game. Uh, long gone are the days where you know people were picking the over under on whether they win one and a half games or not. So, uh, one final stat before we move on, Adam. Oklahoma fans watching the game on TV, OU fans traveling to Lawrence, going to be in attendance. I know that the the end all be all, the common cliche answer for success on defense is getting off the field on third down. 
And this is going to be a big point of emphasis, especially for this OU defense on Saturday, because KU is ranked number one. They are the best in the Big 12 in third down conversions, converting a little over 53%. That's one, uh, basically every other third down that they face, they convert. So that's going to be a big point of emphasis for uh, uh, Brent Venable's defense on Saturday. Absolutely. Tyler, I want to ask you about something that we tweeted out last Friday, and we got almost 300 different responses on Twitter. If you're following on podcasts, it's linked in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing it here on your screen. We threw out, hey, here's all the past logos for OU, The I guess the official logos. So not all these were on the helmets or on jerseys or anything like that, but the official athletics logos. Um, and you can kind of see a, lo- a couple of different variations here. I was actually really surprised that the 1979 to 2000, kind of known as the Disco OU logo there, was the one that by far everyone said, that's my favorite logo. Um, That's the one I'd like to see at midfield or on a helmet or something like that. I didn't grow up as an OU fan in the 90s. I I was barely alive at that point, but I I was really surprised to hear that. My favorite was definitely not the Disco logo, but we got a ton of response there. Do you agree with Twitter on this one, or do you like a different logo? Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement with Twitter on this one. It's funny, Adam. I, I sent the uh, the tweet that you posted. I sent it to a couple of my family members that, you know, season ticket holders, they were at those games back in the late 70s all the way, you know, uh, up through the the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and by far and away, the, the common answer was yes, that retro 79 to 2000 interlocking OU. Um, I've actually got the Red and West polo that features that 79 to 2000 logo. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, might have to break it out this weekend uh, with Oklahoma going on the road. Uh, where, you know, sporting the uh, the white polo, but yeah, uh, it doesn't get any more iconic for me than the the interlocking OU that's on the side of the helmet right now. But for a nice little throwback, you talk about the all time great logo uh, for the University of Oklahoma as it's changed five times, you know, since 1951. That's 79 to 2001. It just it, it's just special. Looks great. It's clean. It's a little different. I like the 79 to 2001. Not saying I want to bring it back. But if I'm buying some gear, if I'm headed over to Red and West trying to stock up, they got a couple different items there that feature that 79 to 2000 logo. It's fantastic. There it is right there for those watching on YouTube. I had to double check because Red and West, sponsor of the podcast, they got the disco logo right there. They got some of the other logos as well throughout the store. So they got it all. Make sure you check them out. We greatly, yeah, greatly appreciate Red and West. Uh, Redandwest.com uh, for any OU gear. It's going to make you look and stand out uh, at the game days. I'll probably be wearing my uh, my retro Western Sooners uh, polo here at home on Saturday. And they got other teams on there too. Uh, they got Texas Tech. They got Oklahoma State. They got Iowa. They've got Virginia Tech. Uh, I think SMU's in there as well. So makes a great gift for uh, your family members as well, even if they're not an OU fan. Yeah. So we uh, we greatly appreciate them supporting the Mainline Podcast here. All, Tyler, all teams, we gotta jump in. All teams matter when it comes to red and west so <laughs> all teams stock up on that merchandise let's go let's go let's uh, wrap up the show here tyler with our best bets of the week oh. you texted me sunday morning you said there's a new leader in the bets not so fast my friend i still hold a half game lead on you i don't think that's uh, necessarily a bragging point because i had a terrible week i went one and four uh, you gained a game on me so it's a really tight contest right now and uh, unfortunately, both of us right now, just a game or two below 500. So we'll see if we can uh, get back ahead in the green on the money here mm-hmm. in, I think we're in week eight now or yeah. week nine. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. The season's almost over. It's sad to think about. So I guess I still have the lead. So I guess I'll lead things off here with my number one pick. 
I'm I'm going to the Northeast, a team that has played more 11 a.m. games than OU has. So you know their experience at this time slot, but I'm not going to pick Boston College in this scenario. I'm going to pick UConn, plus 14 and a half, playing on the road there in Chestnut Hill. I think it's just going to be an ugly, you know, low-scoring game. So I'm taking the Huskies to keep it within two touchdowns. There. You realize this isn't women's basketball, right? Oh, shit. yeah. Just said, okay, <laughs> very nice. Yeah, let's let's see if we can get back on track here, Adam. Obviously, if you're if you're at that fifty percent margin, maybe a little bit better. You're obviously winning according to Vegas betting odds. Uh, so, pick number one for me. Let's get back on track here. I'm going to the Big Twelve. Houston traveling up to Manhattan to take on K State. Uh, K State. I think they just scored again on TCU. Uh, Will Howard made his comeback last weekend. That two headed monster that they've got right now. Uh, yeah. It's it, I'm I'm very very thankful that Oklahoma does not have to play K State in the regular season. With all the stuff going on in Austin right now, K State they're kind of have the inside track to be one of those top two seeds in the Big Twelve playing in Arlington. Just saying, but K State's favored by sixteen and a half in this one. Houston coming off of a, a a huge game where they had an opportunity to win it in the final moments against Texas. I think that that was a huge emotional letdown for them and i think that this is not the this is not the spot that you want to be in limping coming off of a tough loss into manhattan so give me k-state to cover the 16 and a half i feel like if that was at houston that'd be prime look ahead game for for k-state potentially getting big noon kickoff uh instead of bedlam we'll see how that one pans out both in six day selection my number two tyler go ahead and hate on me i'm going to the mac for this one miami of ohio at the university of ohio Miami's uh, quarterback, Brett Gabbert, brother of Blaine Gabbert, mm-hmm. uh, is out for the year now. So I'm taking the under on this one. Under 39 and a half. Bobcats, not a high-scoring team. Very defensive. Likes to uh, run the ball and play defense there. So give me the under there. Nice. Pick number two for me going out to the SEC. World's largest outdoor cocktail party. Georgia versus Florida. It's going to be split down the middle 50-50. This is kind of a tough one, Adam, obviously, because I think that Georgia is the much better football team. But like we've seen, OU Texas, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, throw the records, throw everything up to this point in the season out the window. Never really know what to expect in this game. I know that Graham Mertz, probably stock is a little high right now based off of what he's done the last couple of weeks. But this is a completely different defense. This will be the best defense top to bottom that Graham Mertz has seen. So I think that George is going to come out in this one. I think that they're going to cover the seven and a half first half line in this one against the Gators. I think that's probably a smart pick. I just can't bring myself to root for the dogs there. I'm going to go to the SEC again for, for my number third as well. I'm going to go Tennessee minus three and a half at Kentucky. The Vols jumped all over Bama early. I think if they're able to do that against Kentucky, it's a one-dimensional team. I don't think uh, they'll be able to recover from that. So uh, give me Rocky Top there. Yeah, I'm staying far away from Josh Heupel's team uh, in terms of betting picks for the rest of the regular season. So pick number three for me, coming back home here to the Big 12, Cincinnati traveling up to Stillwater. It's going to be homecoming in Stillwater this weekend. And I think the Oklahoma State, yes, it is a little bit of a look-ahead scenario. Obviously, you've got Cincinnati 0-4 in the Big 12, the worst team in this conference coming into your house. Bedlam, the final Bedlam of this series for quite some time the following weekend at home. But I think that Oklahoma State's going to come out and they're going to cover the 7.5 number uh, against the Bearcats of Cincinnati. Give me OSU minus 7.5. I really wanted to pick Cincinnati there for the reasons you mentioned, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, they're, they're just not a good no. team. So couldn't do it. My number four, I'm going to Vanderbilt plus 24 and a half at Ole Miss here. Vanderbilt coming off a bye week. Ole Miss, tough game at Auburn. Uh, had to really duke it out with the Tigers there. So 
think Vanderbilt's able to maybe catch Ole Miss sleeping a little bit mm-hmm. enough to uh, to at least cover the spread here. Pick number four for me going out to the ACC, North Carolina coming off of just an abysmal, unforgiving loss to one in five Virginia at home of all places. They're going on the road up to Atlanta to take on the Yellow Jackets of Georgia Tech. And this is one of those scenarios, Adam, where you've got you're going to have a pissed off North Carolina team coming off of a tough, unforeseen loss to one of the worst teams in the Power Five. They're going to go on the road right now, and they're going to take some of that anger out on Georgia Tech. So give me the Tar Heels to cover the 11.5 number. Drake May has a big day. I like it. My last pick, I'm going with another team coming off a bye week. Iowa State, again, traveling on the road at Baylor. Uh, Cyclones favored by 2.5. I think they'll be able to cover this. I think they're the much better team. I think they are the much more mistake-free team. Um, Baylor... I guess you could kind of think of them as like a poor man's Iowa State, mm-hmm. but that program just not not really doing the best. I know they were able to to knock off Cincinnati on the road this past weekend, but I think that speaks more of Cincinnati than it does of Baylor. So I think the Cyclones are surging right now. Be really interesting. We could see a, a potential farm again at the end of the year where winner of K-State and Iowa State goes to the Big 12 championship game assuming those teams are, are maybe able to knock off Texas. Uh, I almost put Texas on my card as well. I wasn't sure if maybe uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what to think of them yet, but we'll see what they look like with the backup quarterback. Adam, I do want to touch on the Big 12 collectively as a whole um, after I make this final pick, just kind of get your thoughts on it as we sit here through the first eight weeks of the season. But pick number five for me, kind of round this thing out. Ohio State's going on the road up to Camp Randall to take on Wisconsin. I know that there was so much hype. There was so much positivity about the combination of Tanner Mordecai and Luke Fickle, that brand-new uh, offense that Fickle was bringing over from Cincinnati. You insert Mordecai, who had the you know career-type seasons at SMU. We, we thought that was going to be a really efficient, high-powered offense, and they just haven't been able to figure things out offensively over the last few weeks. And here comes Ohio State, one of the be- best defenses in the country. Yes, I know the Buckeye offense is not like what we've seen with the C.J. Strouds uh, of the world or the Braxton Millers, Cardell, you know, Jones, different things like that. But I think that Ohio State's defense is going to be able to hold Wisconsin really maybe under that 14 number. And I think I trust Ohio State's offensively enough to be able to go out there and cover the 14 and a half number. I wish I didn't get the half point hook. I wish I could get it at 14. It might be bet down by uh, kickoff time on Saturday. But give me Ryan Day and the Buckeyes to cover 14 and a half up there against the Badgers. Yeah, Tanner Mordecai now out, I think, for the year. So should have a good chance at yep. that uh, going up against the Derry Raid. Uh, and Trevion Henderson sounds like he's coming back for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So they should be able to score and move the ball a little bit easier there. Let's talk a little bit about Big 12. Yeah, Big 12. And obviously, Adam, the the fact that Oklahoma was able to win that game against Texas that you know always gives you the mulligan, that gives you the trump card that you've got. You know, you've got the feather in your cap, the head-to-head win over Texas. And it was kind of a tough weekend uh, for, for the folks down there in Austin. Obviously, you know, Quinn Ewers is going to be out for, uh, you know, at least two to three weeks. He's got the AC joint sprain, kind of very similar to the Sam Bradford injury against BYU uh, back in 2009. But you look at the standings right now, Adam, a couple of teams that we really kind of rode off after the first month of the season. We thought that there was absolutely no chance that they would be competitive in the back half of this season. And I'm talking about Oklahoma State. Three and one right now. Kansas State three and one. Iowa State three and one. They're sitting there right there, tied for second in the Big Twelve with the with the University of Texas. Adam, I mean, as we sit here right now, are you comfortable in saying that Oklahoma? You can go ahead and pencil them in for one of those two spots in Arlington. And if so, who do you think right now has the inside track to join them 
and play for the Big 12 championship. Is it still Texas? Yeah, by nature of being undefeated in the conference, no one else... Yeah, just racking my brain real quick. No one else falls in that category. Everybody else has at least one conference loss. So Texas would be the favorite. I think... I think they'll be able to beat BYU. That's a team that really can't run the ball. So if Texas runs the ball, they don't. I don't think they'll have to pass it too much. Um, and I think two. I think three touchdowns probably beats BYU for Texas at home. It's K State that's more worrisome. It's Iowa State on the road that's more worrisome. Mm-hmm. And I'm not super confident that Quinn Ewers is going to be able to come back that quickly. Last year, his his injury against Alabama was his left shoulder. This one's his throwing shoulder. So that's a little bit different. I don't know if that's. Uh, obviously I'm not the doctor. I haven't seen the x-rays or anything like that, but I just feel like that takes, that's going to take more time to come back from. We only saw really one pass from Malik Murphy where it was downfield and it was pretty off target. So that's going to be interesting to see. Like, is that a sign of things to come or is that just one pass? That's a bad sample there. And maybe, or, and, or maybe is he such an elite runner that it doesn't matter? Um, we'll, we'll see now it certainly negates one of Texas's biggest strengths, which is that wide receiver room. They've got some absolute dudes there, but, um, but yeah, I just, I, I wonder, it feels like the momentum is surging more in the direction of a K state, Mm -hmm. Iowa state, you know, rising up and taking that, uh, place in Arlington away from Texas. Um, just cause Texas, you know, despite having a ton of talent, they still kind of do some of the same things that we've seen from them in the past where they don't put teams away. They let teams come back and, Really, if Dana Holgerson calls a slightly different play on fourth down, maybe Houston's the winner of that game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. On paper, it should be Texas, just because when you look at the back half of the schedule right now, yes, they do have the uh, the home game against BYU um, th- this weekend. And then I think that the final week or the following week, obviously you've got Bedlam and Stillwater, but you're going to have you know Kansas State going to Austin. I think that the winner of that game is in the driver's seat to be one of the you know one of those two teams uh, in Arlington on December second. But for me, I am kind of changing my tune a little bit here. I think that Kansas State probably has the inside track to do this because they are tied with Texas at three and one right now in the Big Twelve Conference. They've got that matchup in Austin in two weeks, but. You've, you know, outside of that Texas game, your remaining schedule this year, if you're, uh, you know, Chris Kleiman's bunch, you've got Houston this weekend. I like K-State comfortably in that one. Uh, then after Texas, you've got Baylor at home, which Dave Aranda, God. Uh, and then you follow it up, trips to Lawrence to take on Kansas. I trust K-State in, the, in the, the battle of the Sunflower State. And then you close it out at home against Iowa State, a team that's going to be you know, just banged up. They've got, you know, they've got a matchup against Texas, uh, you know, just shortly before that. So I think that K-State right now, they're starting to play their best football. They're peaking at the right time. That matchup in Austin one week from Saturday, uh, I think that that matchup's going to determine who's going to play Oklahoma in Arlington. We did ask this on Twitter the other day of who OU fans would most like to see in the Big 12 championship game, assuming that OU can make it. We got a lot of people that said they'd like to see Texas. I personally, I want Texas to lose the rest of their games. I don't want them to to make it there. Also, that's the team that's going to have the most talent uh, that could possibly face up against OU. So I I don't want to risk a loss Mm -hmm. there. I I have a healthy respect for the Longhorns, even though OU was able to beat them the first time. I'd rather them just sit with that bad taste in their mouth that they weren't able to avenge that loss. They felt like they should have one and so k-state I, I would love to get the the revenge from last year and that would be a fun matchup that you know something that wouldn't be a repeat of what we've already seen this year but at the same time that's another dangerous team that i have a healthy respect for as well i'd much rather see oklahoma state or iowa state i didn't see too many people answer either of those i think iowa state's probably the least explosive team offensively so i think you would be able to handle business pretty well there and then oklahoma state for just the the 
storyline of saying, hey, like, I, I don't want OU to lose to Bed- in Bedlam to allow that rematch to happen. Yeah. But there's a scenario where OU could beat OSU and still rematch with them in Arlington. And that would be kind of amazing. You know, the last two Bedlams right. of all time, potentially, or at least for a long time, that OU just gets two losses uh, to finish them off and, and shut them up for a couple of years. That would be pretty cool. Too. Crazy, though, Adam. I think that the more likely scenario for Oklahoma State to make it to Arlington would be to beat Oklahoma in Bedlam here in two weeks because oh, yeah. they don't have to oh, play yeah. Texas. Uh, they, they, they dodge, um, you know, Sark's group this year, but if they can figure out a way to beat, to beat, um, you know, Oklahoma in two weeks, that ultimately gives OU one loss. And then, like I said, Oklahoma owns the tiebreaker tie over Texas. They don't have to play K-State. You could potentially see, you know, a, a rematch of, of Bedlam in the Big 12 Championship. That would be great for the state of Oklahoma. It would be great for college football. And one last thing on K-State, you know, ultimately that's a program and, and a, foot, a head coach that's had our number over the last five seasons and Chris Kleiman. Uh, but I think that Oklahoma is better equipped to go up against K-State this year compared to years past because of the improvement, you know, both with the play, but also the improvement with the uh, the size and the level of physicality on the line of scrimmage, particularly on the defensive side of the football. I think that Oklahoma, I think Definitely. that OU would match up better with K-State than they would against Texas in a rematch. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And who knows, like K-State's kind of had an up and down year. Who knows what what direction they're headed mm-hmm. by the time they get to a Big 12 championship game if they're able to make it. So what? still a lot of games to play out. Got one last question for you, Adam. Ultimately, USC, back-to-back losses. They still have UCLA. They still have Washington. They still have Oregon. Are they a five-loss team this year? No, I, I feel like they beat somebody that they shouldn't there. And maybe it's UCLA and people don't really recognize that, but I think that would be a quality win for the Trojans still because UCLA is, is a very good team. I think they lead the country in rushing defense right now. I, I really, I'm circling that Washington game because we've seen the Huskies kind of have some weird games so far mm-hmm. this year. They did against Arizona State. They did it against Arizona. They're going to have to travel down to Los Angeles. There's a couple weeks of cushion here to get away from this bad taste of Utah and, and, uh, and Notre Dame beating the Trojans. So I kind of wonder there, because that could be a shootout, and that might be the type of matchup that Lincoln Riley really wants to play in there. So I feel like Caleb Williams has something left in the tank. It just it needs to not snowball so badly that everybody checks out and, and just packs it in for the year. So I think they'll find a way. And if they beat Cal, then, you know, there you go. I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's get out of here. <laughs> let's get out of here appreciate everyone listening if you enjoyed the podcast let us know send us a, a message on twitter or five star rating wherever you listen to your podcast and we will see everyone again next week for the next episode of the mainline podcast